Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss lean, mean, retpoline. Next up, the future of fishing with no cookies. And future is, of course, spelled with a PH. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 127, recorded on July 18th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, fun in the pun, LaBelle, with me, co-host Tim. I'd rather not speculate. Helming, very clever. And last but not least, our special guest, Mr. No Cookies, or Father Cookies, if you will, um... It's so nice to have you both. Thank you, Noel, for, can I call you Noel? I know, Noel Cookies, you've been on our podcast before, but I feel like I must be so formal with a PH. Or should course. we call you Cookies? Or cookies? Kelsey, you can Mr. call cookies. me whatever you want. No worries. <laughs> Mr. Cookies it is. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, it's so wonderful to have you back on the podcast. Thank yeah, it's you. It's been uh, since last fall, I think if I'm remembering correctly. And a lot has happened since then, I'd say. (laughs) Nah. Just a few things. (laughs) It's just InfoSec. (laughs) This is what happens when you're not on the podcast every time. Fit hits the Shan, you know? Everything everything goes to to heck. (laughs) Exactly. That's our happy place. (laughs) Yes, this is is the happy place. Um, Well, gosh, we're going to do... an episode slightly different today. We're going to start with an article like we typically do, and then we're going to pick Mr. Cookie's brain. Um, so get get your sweet tooth or sweet teeth ready. I don't know if anybody could ever eat a cookie with one tooth. It's weird that it's just a sweet tooth. If I only had one tooth, I'd still try. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get to brass tacks, shall we, with lean, mean... Rhett Pauline, and per usual, and with the uh, the Twitter poll that Callie uh, Fensel put out appropriately from our last episode on how to say what I can't even remember which word it was. It was the brute rattle, rattle, brute rattle, rattle, raytel, raytel, praytel. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know if I said Rhett Pauline correctly, but for the sake of the rhyme, it had to be said that way. Um, I think you did. Okay, I think that was. I think that was quite. Quite correct. A broken clock is right twice a day, as they say. All right. So some microprocessors from Intel and AMD are vulnerable to a newly discovered speculative execution attack that can covertly leak password, dately, password data and other sensitive material, sending both chip makers scrambling once again to contain what is proving to be a stubbornly persistent vulnerability. I like, instead of APT, SPT, Stubbornly persistent yeah. threat or vulnerability. It's really SPV at this point. Well, we'll try to we'll we'll coin that. Yes. Tom Hanks will help us, you know, spread it ah, with his clout. <laughs> well, regardless, this doesn't sound great. But uh, let's start at the top here, Tim. What exactly is a speculative execution attack? 
Well, Kelsey, let's back up even further before we talk about what a speculative execution uh, attack is. Let's talk about what speculative execution is uh, to begin with. It's actually quite clever and useful. And so basically, in order to get a jump on work that the processor has to do, there's logic on board that makes a sort of educated guess about what tasks will need to be executed next or soon. And it starts executing them rather than waiting until it's explicitly called. Don't you, don't you love people that just uh, do that in real life, by the way? It's kind of like Blake from Madam Secretary. You know, Blake always has things done and ready for the secretary before she needs them. And who in this world doesn't need a Blake, am I right? So this is a great optimization technique, uh, but the problem comes into play uh, when we think about what might happen if we could get the processor to execute something else rather than the tasks that it should be speculatively executing. So these, uh, these attacks work by tricking the processor into executing an instruction that accesses sensitive data in memory that would normally be off limits to a low privileged application. And so we have a violation of least privilege. And we know that when we have those, bad things can happen. Bad things can happen indeed. And it sounds like this attack exploits a software defense known as Retpoline. So can you describe what it is or what this is for our listeners other than what sounds like a nice pasta? Yeah, or, or some kind type. of, I don't know, some kind of product. It sounds like a product for sure. <laughs> well... There's some bitter irony to this because Retpoline is a defense that was developed by Google to prevent, wait for it, speculative execution attacks. Um, and so for this, it's worth quoting part of what they say in their write-up about Retpoline. Uh, quote, the name Retpoline is a portmanteau of return and trampoline. It is a trampoline construct constructed using return operations, which also figuratively ensures that any associated speculative execution will bounce endlessly. Uh, and continuing the quote, if it brings you any amusement, imagine speculative execution as an overly energetic seven-year-old that we must now build a warehouse of trampolines around, end quote. I love the way they're talking about that. Mm. <laughs> the trampolines. That's really the the best part. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's it, it's perfect. You don't want the kid to bounce down onto the concrete floor head first. So just put another trampoline next to the one the kid's on. Everything's fine. When does it end? Trampolines, trampolines all the way down. <laughs> it's trampolines all the way down. That's right. Oh, gosh. So, Tim, there are some researchers who have said Ripoline wasn't sufficient to mitigate speculative execution attacks. So can you elaborate on what they meant by that? Yeah. Uh, so researchers from ETH Zurich, uh, Johannes Winker and Kave Rezavi, wrote that Retpoline, as a Spectre BTI mitigation, fails to consider return instructions as an attack vector. That was another quote. So by the way, BTI here stands for branch target injection, which is a specific term for speculative execution. And ETH that I mentioned up at the top of this answer is a technical and science university in Switzerland. So their concerns have been shown to be accurate. And here's how they put it in a bit more detail, though I have edited their quote for brevity and clarity here. So quote, Spectre variant two, by the way, listeners will recall that the first two speculative execution vulnerabilities that made news a couple of years back were called Spectre and Meltdown. So Spectre variant two 
exploited indirect branches to gain arbitrary speculative execution in the kernel. Indirect branches were converted to returns using the retpoline to mitigate specter variant 2. Retbleed shows that return instructions unfortunately leak under certain conditions similar to indirect branches. These conditions are common on certain Intel and AMD platforms. This means that retpoline was an inadequate mitigation to begin with, end quote. Uh, Retbleed works by using code that essentially poisons the branch prediction unit that CPUs rely on to make their guesses. So the so-called branch prediction unit will make mispredictions that the attacker can then control. Fascinating. Um, well, what <laughs> what can one do about this? What are the mitigations that maybe Intel and AMD have advised? Or are there any things that either of you would like to add um, that sh- defenders should be considering with with all of this shenanigans? Yeah, well, you know, the bummer about mitigations for speculative execution attacks is that they all have one thing in common. You have to forego the optimization that speculative execution offers, so the net result is that your processor slows down. Uh, But here are the details. So first off, let's cover which processor families are affected. So for Intel, it's Skylake and its derivatives. And then for AMD, it's Zen, Zen Plus, and Zen 2. And then narrowing it down further for Intel, it's for the ones that do not have something called Enhanced Indirect Branch Restricted Speculation, or EIBRS, in place. Uh, Intel had these software mitigations available for a while now. And by the way, they also point out that Windows isn't affected because it already had an IBRS in place. So the new mitigation is really for Linux users. And then over on the AMD side of things, they also have an IBRS that's been available for a while. And they also recommend that software use something called a wrap stuffing sequence where wrap is return address predictor and or supervisor mode execution protection SMEP. SMEP, I don't know, to ensure that the memory addresses in the wrap, again, uh, return address predictor, are safe for speculation. So back to what I mentioned about how these mitigations can cause performance degradation, the measured results look like they're in the range of 12 to 28% more computational overhead now that you have these mitigations in place. That's not trivial. And you know, I think, and Null, feel free to to add your two cents on this, but when we saw uh, Spectre and Meltdown come out a few years back, we all wondered whether we would continue to see more of these. And unfortunately, the answer is yes. And also, that probably doesn't surprise a lot of folks. No, I mean, it's, I would say that it's uh, definitely concerning development. Um, And unfortunately, the mitigations that they've proposed at this point, um, increasing the computational overhead is, like you said, non-trivial. there's a lot of business cost associated with this and that's concerning as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume speculative execution is, is here to stay in some form or another. And the, and the question is just, are they going to be able to consistently safeguard it? Because otherwise you're just looking at, okay, well, you're going to have to overbuy processors because you're going to have to assume that you can't use this optimization so you're going to overbuy it for what you had in mind um, if you go into it just kind of assuming that you're not going to be able to to use that. And maybe that's what people are already doing to some extent. Hmm. Well, things to consider. And I'm, I'm curious here what both of you would rate this at from a hoodie perspective, which if you're a new listener or you've 
forgotten we look at um, a hoodie rating system, which is from zero to ten. Ten is very bad. Zero is neutral or maybe water cooler discussion back in the old days when you'd see you see your coworkers. So um, no cookies. I'll start with you. What would you rate this the situation at? I rated a seven hoodie. Um, I would say it's something that defenders should keep an eye on. A seven. All right. Tim, would you agree with that rating? I was going to go a little bit lower, but, you know, I don't know. This is, it's hard because it, it kind of depends on how we see it used and like how widely the unmitigated processors are out there in the world um, and, and where they are and sort of how they get taken advantage of, you know, lower processing speeds are definitely a bummer. But if you have the mitigations in place, then that's what you're dealing with rather than dealing with leakage of sensitive information, which would be more, you know, potentially catastrophic. Uh, I don't know. I'll go for, I'll go for six for this one. Six fine, fine hoodies. Six hoodies. You've given us all a lot to process here. So we'll, we'll continue yeah. all over that. <laughs> As I said, I'd rather not speculate. I should have said that when you asked me how many hoodies. How bad is this thing going to be? I'd rather not speculate. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we will be back in a second. Like I said, we're doing things a little different today. So rather than talk about a second headline from the week, we're going to be talking about the future of fishing with no cookies. See you here in just one second. All right, everybody, welcome back to the future of fishing with PHs all around. We're going to be um, grilling Noel. Noel cookies. Have, has anybody ever had a grilled cookie before? Like a grilled peach? Maybe it's a, yes, a delicacy? Yes, I have had a grilled cookie before. What? Was I, the fact, whole thing grilled? I feel like I've even mentioned this on this podcast at some point in the past, but a, a couple of years ago, I was on a, at a very fun party on a, uh, a dock at a marina for those of you who aren't super familiar with Seattle, we got water all over the place. A lot of people are boaters, boat enthusiasts, et cetera. And there was this, uh, uh, these folks I knew that had a party every week during the summer down at their dock. And they said one day when I was there, if, have you ever had a grilled Fig Newton? And I went, uh, huh? And they said, oh, man, you got to try this. Yep, grilled Fig Newtons. And I'm here to tell you, if you haven't done that, unless you hate Fig Newtons, but it, maybe even if you do, maybe this will change your mind. And there's also Apple Newtons and Strawberry Newtons. Who knows what other flavors of Newtons they've got now. Uh, you should try it. It's, it's awesome. This week on Breaking Badness Cookies Edition. <laughs> well, it's summertime, right? So the special uh, barbecue edition of Breaking Badness. There you go. We'll just add the Q to BB. Well, Tim, the good news is I'm here to tell you all about Fig Newtons. Oh, Ooh. please proceed. Well, not really. Um, by some weird twist of fate, um, I find fishing and the services propping it up um, absolutely fascinating. So I figured I'd share some thoughts on what I believe will be the future of fishing. Um, and I'm going to start with the most obvious prediction ever. Fishing isn't going anywhere. <gasps> that's stating the obvious at least anytime soon and thank you for coming to my ted talk but <laughs> seriously um let's start by acknowledging that fishing works 
a disciplined fishing actor has a pretty good chance of success with the correct lure and decent sending infrastructure, especially in cases where fishing is more targeted, uh, you know, whether that targeting is person specific, like in a spear fish, or less so like when targeting a set of people at a company or their department. Um, Assuming a fishing actor has enough time to be patient in the first place, they'll eventually find a lure and kit that works. And when they do, um, you may see them try to pivot to new targets with that winning formula, hoping to capitalize on their past success, Uh, which gets to a point I am always trying to make. Um, Fishing actors and threat actors as a whole need to be regarded as rational, clever, and a lot more self-aware than some give them credit for. Um, These people learn from mistakes. They improve on past successes. They discuss with other people outside their immediate cybercrime circles. They experiment and iterate. And uh, in short, they get better. And we need to get better too. Uh, The spam war right now is a war of attrition, and it's fought with creativity, and it's trench warfare right now. Uh, So kind of that begs the question, what are we facing? Um, There are two very different worlds, I guess, when it comes to fishing activity. Um, If this were statistics, I'd describe fishing quality as kind of a bimodal distribution. Uh, The first and largest group is just this like water hydrant deluge of of low-quality fishing lures that gets spammed to anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter if you've never had an account at a certain bank, you're getting sent the lure about your account being restricted for possible fraud. You get a fish and you get a fish, Kelsey, and Tim, you get a fish, and I don't even know you, but you're still getting a fish anyways. It's cheap, um, it's high volume, and probably has a low deliverability and even lower success rate. Um, victims that land on their phishing pages are probably greeted by something uh, that isn't exactly a modern art masterpiece. And while these are often hilariously bad, uh, it's really unwise to believe this approach doesn't work at scale. It does, Um, but there are ways to make it much more difficult um, to kind of skew their cost-benefit analysis just enough to deter them. And um, as an industry, we're seeing progress there. Uh, I suspect that high-volume phishing campaigns um, sent via email will continue to become more difficult for phishing actors thanks to improved email filtering um, and uh, detection at different levels. Um, Several vendors right now are absolutely killing it in this space, and there's reasonably good cooperation, I think at least, between businesses, researchers, and government. And hopefully, in the future, this will continue to improve. But here's the next prediction, and it's unfortunately bad news. Um, We're going to see the ascendancy of smishing and vishing. Um, I cannot say we're making very good progress right now in the smishing space at all. Um, We're just getting started here. Uh, Smishing, vishing, and hybrid forms of phishing, um, like one-time passcode interception, are becoming legion. Uh, you even have more sophisticated actors uh, that use the Bazer call method. Um, this could become a much more common method um, for um, distributing malware, where fraudulent call centers are used as part of 
a fairly intricate social engineering campaign uh, to trick targets into installing malware um, under various guises. And in my own research, you've, I've um, observed fraudulent call centers that are just classic tech support scams uh, that are more and more interested in um, actually phishing your accounts uh, instead of just merely emptying your bank accounts. And one team I would say that's doing really impactful research in this space is a company called WMC Global. Um, not a ton of people have heard about this company, uh, but I would say their research on phishing kits used in smishing campaigns, along with kind of the related artifacts um, that they've been able to collect from these campaigns is pretty eye-opening. Um, and I would say the results should give us pause. Um, filtering right now is comparably ineffective uh, compared to what we've achieved in the spam email space. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So yeah, um, I would say that space is ripe for exploitation, uh, but also, thankfully, innovation from the defender side. Another kind of um, related prediction when it comes to the fact that phishing actors are really willing to iterate and they try to pivot from one successful campaign to another. And that pivoting isn't necessarily um, focused on just staying on the same target. Sometimes that pivoting is actually going to try to use a winning formula on a similar target, hoping to capitalize on their past success. Um, I suspect that um, down market targeting is going to start happening. Um, you normally think of phishing campaigns as targeting these kind of these large trusted brands. And for the most part, that's, that's certainly true. Um, but when we think about kind of the, the phishing ecosystem and we think about um, where effort uh, can create the most profit, um, I would say that down market targets are going to become more frequent. Um, and what I mean by that is, I'll use an example. Um, so we've, we, we had a financial institution recently make headlines um, for massive fraud losses. And those fraud losses were uh, in large part the result of a merger of two smaller banks and the difficulty um, when it comes to fraud prevention, um, the difficulty, the operational difficulties, sorry, uh, involved in merging two um, anti-fraud teams together um, made for a really, unfortunately, um, effective target created this like this deluge of, of fraud activity hitting this one bank. And that gets to another point that we really need to understand. These guys, these fraud actors, they talk um, and they share notes. And it's a lot more collaborative um, that I suppose earlier in my career, I believed it was. So again, something to keep in mind. Um, the fewer barriers to entry the easier target, or at least what attackers believe to be an easier target, it will create kind of this, this movement in this community and predicting where those, where that kind of, that movement will go is, is really helpful from an intelligence perspective and also just for defenders generally. And here's another prediction. Um, I think phishing as a service is going to become the norm. 
And I think we will see an unexpected downside for fishing actors. Um, and at the same time, unfortunately, um, the people they target. So when it comes to fishing, um, it's not a technically very high bar to reach to conduct a fishing campaign. Um, it's trivial to find a fishing kit. It's trivial to get up at least rudimentary infrastructure uh, to be able to send a fishing lure, whatever method you use. Um, but with fishing as a service, and for example, you have the 16 shops of the world. Now, e even though Devil Scream um, is, is no longer in play, that actor, um, you have kind of this, this Indonesian fishing service as a model um, that other fishing actors, particularly in that region, have adopted. And it becomes easier for somebody to send somebody Bitcoin, uh, get access to a management panel and a kit that's relatively well designed, and then do their fishing campaigns just from a single pane of glass. Sounds like a great opportunity and people are really embracing it. But when fishing kits and infrastructure become more homogenous, um, detection can become easier unless those operating the service consistently iterate. Um, that's not an insurmountable challenge by any means to those uh, operations, but it does add a little more overhead uh, to their operation. And at the same time, um, methods to thwart detection and takedowns could also improve. Um, a lot of these more sophisticated fishing kits have anti-bot capabilities, um, and they're very keen on only displaying fishes to what they believe to be a potential target and not, say, a researcher on the other side of the planet. And the bad news for victims and consumers as a whole, um, fishing as a service operations frequently siphon stolen credentials um, from their own customers. So if I use a phishing as a service um, and I use their kit and I have their, um, I use their management infrastructure and my little single pane of glass where, where I can manage all my campaigns and get the results from those campaigns by logging into this management panel. Unfortunately, there's a really non-trivial chance that those credentials are being siphoned by the very people operating it. And if you were to ask the administrators of these uh, phishing-as-a-service um, enterprises, they would vehemently deny it. Um, I can say that that is probably untrue. Um, this happens, and the result is you basically have at least um, two cybercrime actors now offloading those credentials or testing those accounts or taking over those accounts at the same time. So the, the, um, the harm um, potentially doubles at a minimum. So that's, that's a problem. But even when we think about you know, more down market targeting, more phishing as a service, um, the rise of smishing and vishing techniques, um, there are reasons for concern. Um, but thankfully, there's a lot of teams, there are a lot of companies, um, there are a lot of um, actors and government who take this seriously now 
And um, thankfully, uh, we can hopefully steer um, the ship and um, start winning back um, some of the ground we've lost in the spam war. And we do that by collaboration, innovation, using our own creativity, and um, trying in our own little way uh, to make the world a better place. It's all you can do, right? You got exactly. to do some of that every day. So, you know, Null, one of the things that I, uh, I think about with this all the time is, and I've written about this before, that ransomware gets so many headlines, but consistently we see data that says that the losses from phishing are still higher than the losses from ransomware. So do you feel like phishing is kind of underappreciated as a vector right now? I'm, I mean, given the case that you've just made, there's so much going on out there. And so I, I certainly feel like, I don't know, like in this weird way, I'm like uh, not promoting phishing, but I'm promoting like thinking about phishing as defenders more because there's so much, it, ransomware is more spectacular. But phishing is just, it has bigger losses. Yeah, b bigger losses, but um, kind of capturing the entire phishing space is, is difficult, um, in part because it is so large. Uh, the reason ransomware gets so much attention, um, one, from a research perspective, it's, it's fascinating. Um, there's some incredibly clever things happening in that space. Um, and, um, the immediate damage it can cause is, is, it's so readily apparent. The damage phishing causes is more of kind of a slow drip. And so that will naturally capture fewer headlines and by extension, um, fewer people will pay it attention, which in some ways I think adds to that damage, um, because some do kind of view it as a lesser threat. I would say that um, beyond phishing, or, or maybe sort of as an extension of phishing, uh, the business email compromise space is um, right now causing the most financial damage of of any. Um, and yeah, for sure, the apparent the the losses are shocking, um, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Uh, are being lost um, because somebody is able to impersonate someone at a company and then convince them to send money somewhere. And it is devilishly simple. And again, it's an illustration of what we're, the battle we're really fighting is human creativity and how kind of, kind of very common um, human foibles are uh, just being exploited. And that exploitation can occur at a human level, it can occur at a software level, it can occur at a hardware level, um, but it's the same creativity. Hmm. Well, no cookies, if you're to leave our listeners with, or if you're to hope that they're going to take a single thing away from this episode regarding phishing, what would that be? Look at the macro trends. When it comes to the actual targeting, I've got a theory that that this down market trend is is going to continue, and I think every company is eventually going to face a phishing threat if they have customers that have to do any sort of um, credentialed access to a website. 
um, I've seen obscure fishes like you wouldn't believe. And there's an entire subset of, of fishing actors that are hyper-targeted and they're targeting incredibly obscure businesses. And these aren't major players like you would sus suspect. These are just specialists that focus on really kind of esoteric fishes. And they're very good at their job. And oftentimes, it's not even clear what their ultimate goal is. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot happening uh, in the world of fishing that goes so far beyond um, what we consider to be the big brand fishing targets out there. It's fascinating, and I've yet to see an end um, to that. Fascinating. Well, Mill Cookies, thank you for talking about fishing with all of us and and sharing this information with our listeners. Um, obviously, these are important things to keep an eye on. And unfortunately, fishing as a service doesn't sound like it's going to pass anytime soon, if you will. Um, would it be reasonable for us to rank using the hoodie rating system, the future of fishing? Of, of I'm, I, I have a prediction about what you would put down as your, your rating there, <laughs> no cookies, but uh, might it be helpful to say, to, to extrapolate that score, that rating? Well, let's let's focus. Um, I would say let's talk about smishing. Um, smishing, I would say that's a solid, solid eight point five. Um, fishing generally, it's it's difficult to kind of quantify um, the entire risk of that space because fishing overlaps with so many other types of threats. Um, I would say more generally, just just be very vigilant when it comes to. Um, potential phishing attacks. Security teams take them super seriously. Registrars start actually caring. Um, telco providers and VoIP platform providers, uh, please, please listen to researchers finally. Um, right now, it's a, it's a bloodbath when it comes to smishing lures. And um, there is unfortunately little um, partnership happening there right now. Uh, if that changes, we can we can lower that hoodie rating. Um, but right now, it's it's a real pain. Yeah, I I was gonna say overall, if you take fishing overall, uh, I would put it at a nine um, because it it is so pervasive. And like you said, it's sort of like you know everybody's gonna get popped at some point or another, and that could be a real bad day for you. And the, I mean, you've heard it, heard me say it on this podcast before, but the analogy I use between fishing and ransomware is it's kind of like, uh, fishing is kind of like highway fatalities where ransomware is like plane crashes. You know, one of them is more spectacular than the other one and gets bigger headlines, but the other one causes, uh, more damage overall. And, and I, that's the way I see it with this. So overall fishing is a massive problem. Nine hoodies. That's very well said, Tim. That's better than my analogy. All the analogies on this podcast are amazing. <laughs> Breaking badness this week. Analogies. Well, thank you, uh, Null Cookies, for that that fantastic TED Talk on fishing. And we're going to take a brief break here and come back for the final piece of our episode, which is, of course, Two Truths and a Lie. We'll be right back. 
Thank you, listener, for listening to Breaking Badness yet again. And we hope that you will go out there and like and subscribe and do all those things that your favorite podcast people always ask you to do. And hey, share Breaking Badness with a friend if you haven't done that already. And now, back to the show. All righty, team. It's time for Two Truths and a Lie. Um, If you're tuning in for the first time or you need a quick reminder... One of us co-hosts every week names off three headlines, and one of those headlines is a lie. Two of them are things that actually happened. And, of course, there's a point system, um, and Tim is up this week to try to deceive Noel Cookies and I. Just so hurtful. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, Noel, you're paying, playing on behalf of uh, Taylor. So, um, yeah, go go get him, and we'll see. I have, I have a lot of faith that... Uh, no cookies is going to know quite well what is a lie, but we'll see. No pressure. No pressure. All right. Well, here we go. Three statements. Statement number one. Holy handsets, Batman. That landline phone of yours could be infested with malware. Statement number two. Here's another reason to dissuade your 11-year-old from playing Roblox all the time. It's embroiled in an extortion case. And statement number three, we know where you were last night. Android malware sends location data to fishers to enable context-based real-time phishing. The second two are true. Oh. Roblox right now is a hotbed for um for bad. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna I'm gonna say what Noel Cookies <laughs> said. That was some confidence. Uh, it would be a fool not to side with him. <laughs> Well, here's the deal. It actually turns out that there is a way for landline phones to become infested with malware. There is an outfit called Digium, which is a landline service provider, and they have found massive amounts of malware. Somebody found massive amounts of malware in Digium and in those systems. So that is a bummer. Um, And the one about the Android location data for real-time phishing that might be happening, in fact, but I made that up. So, uh, you know, I should be out there uh, uh, making money off that, I suppose, if it turns out that's a thing. Two points for Tim. Well played. Darn it, you got us. Didn't even have to fish for the compliments. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, anybody who's, who's Taylor or me is desperately trying to make up ground against your impressive score there, Kelsey. So, you know, I'm still digging out of a pretty big <laughs> hole here. impressive lying. Well, um, we'll have a lot of time to think about that. As I mentioned during our last episode, there's going to be a bit of a summer hiatus here at Breaking Badness. So um, the threats aren't going to report themselves. Well, I guess there's a whole set of journalists who do that. So keep an eye on the news for us, will you, while we're out. And a huge thank you to the good, the great, the Knoll Cookies for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Yes. So awesome to have you on the show again. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, that's all we have this week. We'll be back soon at Breaking Badness. Stay safe out there, everybody, and stay cool, especially if you're over there in uh, the UK. Here's wishing you uh, cool fans and cool breezes. Bye, everyone. Cheers. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>